Carrie, this is just for you today. I wore my diva sweatshirt because you are diva. a diva. Diva, diva, diva. You are a diva too. I diva. love that shirt. It's fabulous. But you also wore it for Michael Kildy because this is from the Metropolitan Opera. And he just did what? Had an amazing success going on last minute for Rigoletto. And what have we been saying for two years? Be prepared, people. Be, Be prepared. prepared. And Michael was prepared. And new production, Rigoletto at the Metropolitan Opera. And the press that he had about this, I mean, you, your mother could not have written that. It was <laughs> so amazing. And he was so ready to just jump in because he knew the role, he performed it a lot, and he's awesome awesome sauce man that's all he's totally did yeah so of course we had to talk with him because we've known him forever both of us forever so we had to find out and we just wanted to shout it out on the divas and we're so excited for what happened and what's happening because of that which is so awesome and what we all all of us singers want to support that it's just it's just yeah. brilliant brilliant well he is brilliant and young singers this is a great one to listen to um and also all you fans out there how a cover goes from sitting in the theater to actually getting on stage. The whole process, quite exciting, quite interesting. So, yeah, very cool. Check it out. Check it out. And the divas say, stay safe, people. Be well. Bye. <laughs> it's an interesting business because, you know, we as singers, it's when we do stand up for ourselves, sometimes it can be seen as, you know, being difficult or, or, but if we don't do it, no one else certainly will. So you have to be like really careful. You have mm -hmm. to know yourself really. This is the things that I've learned over the 30 years that I've been in the business is that, you know, there are certain things that matter and there are certain things that don't, yeah. you know, and you have to know what those are for yourself. Mm-hmm. You have an HBC blanket behind you, oh Canada! Thank you very much. That's yes, right. I'm representing. <laughs> I love that. Hello. For a for our wedding from a Canadian friend of ours. Cool. All right. Yeah. What are you drinking? What are you drinking? Manhattan, baby. Yeah, baby. I I am. I'm going all out for you, and I am doing. <laughs> And uh, this is yeah. the afternoon espresso must have. Hello. Okay, well, we're, so we're both like completely envious of you right now. Yeah, really. Why? Because that's going to happen. Yeah, and that's going to happen after the interview. <laughs> but you know what? Okay. You, of all people, right now, deserve a drink. Thank Hallelujah. You. Thank I mean. You. <laughs> Seriously, what you went through in the last month? Oh, it was a roller coaster. Roller coaster. <gasps> roller coaster. I mean, so so amazing. It just ended being the most amazing thing ever. Uh, I'm just so happy. So okay, I mean, can we can we tell everybody what in the world we're talking about? Those that don't know, there's two sure. things to talk about. Like right, because Michael, what'd you do? The first the first step in you did. The first thing was I was covering. Tosca, of course, uh, 
the lovely Sandra Radvan was singing Tosca at the Met. Huge success, great reviews, Thank everything. You. Stop. Yeah. One of the one of the great uh, Toscas of our time, if not Thank ever. Thank you. Thank you. Obviously, but uh, oh. I was got to sing like a rehearsal with her. I got to do Act One and Act Two with Yannick in the Pit, with you and Brian Jade singing. And, and the orchestra. With the orchestra, and it was amazing, and I nailed it. And, um, yes, you did. I, you did. I had a very successful rehearsal, um, but they ended up bringing in George uh, Gagnitza, who was actually doing the run right now, which kind of makes sense. I was a little upset at that point that I didn't get at least a performance, but um, in retrospect, fast forward like a month later, I'm covering Quinn, a lovely, another colleague of ours, and Quinn's a great Rigoletto. He does opening night. And then he actually texts me the morning of our second performance. And he says, I just want to let you know, I have a little bit of drainage, blah, blah, blah. I didn't think anything of it. I got a drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, uh, that, I mean, that is drink worthy. Okay, but can I, well, while you're drinking, I'm going to say this. It is so, so, so awesome when we have colleagues in this business that do that, that give you a heads up before the company does, because sometimes the company's way late, but he's, you know, and I love it even if it's the night before. It's like, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on, but you might not want to be drinking tonight. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. No, it, it was amazing. I mean, Quinn texted me. I didn't really think anything of it. 1.30, I got the call from the rehearsal department saying that I was going on for Rigoletto. Like, you know, a role that I love. Yeah. New role, production. A new production. Mm -hmm. Bart Cher. Um, just, you know, amazing stuff. Um, Yay. Uh, I ended up doing that night and the applause after my aria was like, I, okay, act one was good. Act one was good. I was a little nervous. Act two, I calmed down, got my breath underneath me. The first thing in act two is the aria. And I love that aria so much. Like, I just went out and I just laid it all out on the stage. Right. And I got, I got like this huge ovation. And um, yeah. I ended up breaking character, which I'd never done before. But I was so overcome with joy. <laughs> But I like, I smiled back at the audience to sort of acknowledge the applause. And, you know, um, they captured the moment. It was like in the New York Times. It was everywhere. Hysterical. Yeah. It, it was, was massive. The press was A, amazing, yeah. well-deserved, but massive. Everywhere. I mean, I believe it. I appeared, I mean, on the front page of the art section above the fold. And then, like two days later, there was a review. They had reviewed the the opera with me in it too. They did, and <laughs> but then, and it was just great. I ended up doing. I mean, sad for Quinn, great for me. He ended up getting COVID, and then I ended up doing the next two performances. So I ended up doing three shows, which was amazing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what are you? What are you treating yourself with with that extra cash? <laughs> um, Scott and I are going to uh, spend a weekend at the Breakers in Palm Beach. Oh yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Whoop, whoop. Okay, wait, wait. But can we? We did not say this. That when you sang that, it was something that everybody could hear because they broadcast it. 
So I didn't even know. I was like, I was completely oblivious. I can't, I was going to teach like three lessons. When Quinn called, you know, texted me, I didn't think anything of it. When I got the call, I canceled my lessons. I called my teacher. I called my manager. I called my husband. Put the phone tree in action because I had maybe six hours notice. And people came out. People showed up. I got to the hall at like six because I wanted to get there early. I was on the phone with the New York Times as I was walking into the Met stage door. I get a phone call from the Met saying, hey, the New York Times would like to do an interview with you. And I was like, right now? They're like, yes. I was like, okay, we'll have them call me right away. So like from 6 to 6.30, I'm in the baritone dressing room doing an interview with the New York Times. Love. 6.30, they put me in makeup. Uh, 7 o'clock, I go and walk some things on the set because I would not walked the set before. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> 7.30, I come back, get in the costume, 8 o'clock, I'm doing it. But when we're doing the costumes, I was like, what are these wires for? <laughs> They're like, that's for the microphone. And I was like, I, wait. Microphone? Microphone? And they're like, oh, it's, it's uh, you know, going to be broadcast or uh, uh, on the internet. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm glad I didn't know, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's enough pressure jumping in at the last minute for the right. second show of a new production at the Metropolitan Opera. And then like, oh, by the way, the whole world can listen to you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh amazing. my God, Michael. Now I have that recording, like my family listen, people from all over the world listen. Cool. Sandra listen, Carrie listen. Yes, listen. I did. <laughs> I, I love it. just for you today, by the way. Oh. Diva. Diva. Okay, so tell me this. Are you allowed to talk about this? What has come of that? Have people hired you? Have you found out that you've gotten new jobs because of this? Was this not only just a success at the Met, but is this, is it a success for the future? Definitely. I mean, it's, I've never, I've always knew, I mean, I've been singing at the Met for a long time. I mean, the last time I appeared on stage was 25 years ago. But Hello. I, I with Sandra. <laughs> That's how old we are, Michael. I'm sorry, we can't lie anymore. <laughs> with the, I mean, after the second performance, I mean, after the first performance, um, Caroline called me and said, my Your dear, manager. My manager, Caroline Woodfield from Opus 3, called mm -hmm. me and she said, my dear, you stopped the show. I haven't heard applause like that at the Met for years, blah, blah, blah. And she had already been in touch with Michael Houston. Uh, after the second show, um, she heard some more things. After the third show, uh, Peter Gelb actually came up to me before the third show and spoke to me. I was like, wow. Did he know your name? Yes. <laughs> and Sandra. <laughs> He congratulated me. He said, "We, I just want to thank you for a great job. And you know, it was always awesome. It was awesome. So yeah. there's, I can't really say anything yet, but I mm. will be returning to the Metropolitan Opera singing next season. Fantastic. So, 
I can't say what yet. Okay, I look forward to the text later, Michael Keel. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, they announced this season pretty soon, so you're going to be able to, to yeah. announce that. So so we had to pretty quickly, Caroline Woodfield had to get me out of some other contracts and to make this work. And but awesome. Um, what I was saying was like I never really realized the power of going on at a place like the Met in a role like that and, and knocking it out of the park. I mean, it's basically changed everything for me. The whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. so. has, it, has it changed in your mind? Have you changed? Well, I, I feel like I've been singing like this for 10 years. So right. I mean, I'm just really happy for the opportunity that I finally got the chance to like show people what what i could do like in front of an audience and have right. that and you know because i've always known i've always believed in myself and been working continuing to work and study and coach right but I, i've always believed in myself you know yeah. i always knew there oh, like i just need a shot so. Totally. And this is like the most exciting thing ever, not only for the public, not only for um, people that love opera and loved being there for this moment, but it's also so exciting for all of us that go on that journey with you that want this story. for, it's an awesome story. It's what we want for everyone. It's like this, it's just so awesome. So I want to talk to you because you posted something recently on social media about like some of the haters and, and I, I'm like, what? Like, why would you be so negative and hateful about? I don't know what happened. Honestly, you know, when I see stuff like that, I'm like, okay, I love you. I don't know what happened, but I love you. Um, and part of me is like, I don't want to know what happened because, like, I don't really want to know that there's that many hateful people out there. But, um, but can you can you talk about it? Do you want to talk about that or why you okay. felt like you wanted to post that? Yeah. And what do you what do you do when people? Yeah. Them? How do you handle it? I. It was crazy because the highest point in my life, just amazing. And I didn't really mean for that post to be a poor me moment. But, I didn't, um, hey, hey, wait, I didn't take it that way. I didn't take it that way at all. I was surprised that somebody did, but um, I, I just, well, maybe because I know you, I don't know. But anyway, go ahead. I was shocked that people that I knew, that I've known for 20 years in the business and that work in the business would say, disparaging things or it was it was really I was more hurt I you know I have a big heart I'm sort of wear my heart on my sleeve I'm open about things right and it just it just hurt me that's all I was really disappointed in those people and you know I grew up gay so I am from a little town in Pennsylvania I'm used to people not liking me or being mm -hmm. afraid of what I am or who mm -hmm. I am so but being an artist and experience like this openness of love and gratitude and, and amazingness, and then having that, I was like, whoa, like it really like took me aback. I was like, oh, uh, that's weird, you know? And um, it just hurt me a little bit. I don't want to go into details. Or yeah, no, you don't have to. But, but how did you handle it? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I. I went back to like when I was a young little gay kid and being called names and stuff like that. I just was like, you know what? Screw that. It's it's not my prerogative what other people think of me. I just got to keep the blinders on and keep moving forward. 
I have all this great momentum and stuff happening for me in my career, and I'm just going to focus on the positive. Good for and you. And really try to stay positive and keep moving forward. Because, you know, I mean, I really, I touched a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of, I have a lot of new fans, I have a lot of new, you know, and that, I just, it's just an amazing moment for me. I, I mean, I, I love that you guys have, are there for me and have been there for me from the beginning and now are here for me now. <laughs> so You are just, honestly, you are what Carrie and I have been talking. You are the epitome of what we've been talking about for the last two years. We have told all singers, be prepared, yeah. be prepared. And look what happens when you're really prepared. And you, this is one of your great roles. Yeah, but yeah. I want to I want to back backtrack. You did this with me in Barcelona. How many years That's ago was that? Three, four years ago. No, so with uh, Shinye. Shinye. That's right. So I was second cast in uh, in a production, and it was you and Jonas and um, Carlos Alvarez. Carlos Alvarez, right? Mm -hmm. Who's a you know a huge star in the world, but like an enormous star in Spain, right? Especially. Yes. <laughs> So I, I remember, I remember he was sort of struggling with some dental work that he had done, and and uh, there was there were some things, and and I was sort of put on call by right. Christina Sheppelman, who was running the company at the time, and so I was like, oh, again, I was like, he'll be fine, and Sandra was like, you better be ready, and I was like, uh -oh. and this was your role debut. Yes, it was my house debut and my major role debut in <laughs> Huge, huge. I remember you knocked the first aria is, is Gerard's aria, right? It's like the very first thing is my line and then I have an aria. And I remember sitting in the chair, <laughs> the curtain's down and Christina goes out and says, you know, senores, senores. Senoras, we, you know, I'm so sorry, Carlos Alvarez. And there's like a huge groan from the audience. Like, oh. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I remember that there was like a smattering of applause after the first aria. And I went off stage and people were like, that doesn't really normally happen. I think I, I was what, Sandra, like the sec your second show or third mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. I was like, oh, really? And then I remember doing uh, Nemico Bella Patria. By then, I knew I had them. Yeah, I had a huge applause. And then Sandra came on saying La Mama Morta and it was amazing. That was such a great moment. And so, how do the two compare? Are they? Are they? Were they similar experiences for you? Were they? I mean, I think that uh, because I was scheduled to sing already, I was yeah. more prepared to do the Barcelona job. Even though it was a high pressure situation, I had been there for five weeks rehearsing and it was it was a little bit easier to be honest. I mean, being a cover and having to go on for Rigoletto is pretty daunting. I mean, any sort of major role like that, you know, Rigoletto, there it's a half hour opera. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's probably only 30 minutes where I'm not singing in the piece. I mean, well, you're the title character. And I have to say, you had awesome colleagues on stage, people that uh, Sandra and I both know and love. And, um, you know, with Rosa, with Piotra, with Craig, I mean, all these just amazing human beings, just human beings, like not, let's not even talk about the singing part, but just amazing people. So were there moments on stage where they're like, come here, 
over here. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I went to, most of my stuff is with Rose. I don't really have a lot of interaction with the Duke, mm -hmm. uh, um, with Piotr. But um, I've sung with Piotr before in Barcelona with right. Louisa, with Sandra. But um, I was, um, Rose, I went to her and she said, just do whatever you need to do and do you. You know, she was like, I'll work around you. Sort of like what Sandra said to me, because when I went on for the Scarpia rehearsal, I hadn't had any staging for Act Two yet. So I just went on. We know each other so well. Sandra was like, just make something up and I'll react. So yeah. it's exciting. <laughs> but it, that, that, that improvisation is just so, to me, as an artist, so exciting. And I'm sure the audience feels that too. But people need to know that as a cover at the Metropolitan Opera, you don't get any rehearsal on stage. Yeah, it's very, very little. It's uh, if you have, if you're in a new production like this one, there's a lot of rehearsal, but still covers get very little rehearsal. And when you do, it's never on stage. Stage time is so hard to come by at the Met. So covers are always rehearsing on sea level. And, um, you know, when you're on a turntable, it's completely different. I mean, it's disorienting altogether. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough, thank you enough to like the orchestra and the chorus and the dancers. I mean, everyone was so supportive. And uh, Gina Lipinski, who really helped me with the staging and everything. Cool. It was, and really, particularly my colleagues. I mean, yeah. I, after my aria, after that act, after that act, I have a quick change, and then Rosa and I are waiting for an entrance. And she was like, "Oh my God, your applause was amazing!" <laughs> I love her. And who was conducting? Was it Rustioni? Rustioni, and he he was you know right there with me. He was. Uh, you could hear him tapping his baton. Uh, on I might have listened to the recording. So. <laughs> as you should, as you should, as for real. You. Mm -hmm. So, so now that you you had this huge success, how do you think um, the future looks? Do you think there's going to be larger houses? Has this really opened the doors? You think for those big houses that you were kind of knocking on? Yeah. But you know they kind of slightly opened the doors. Do you think that this is now going to open those doors? Yeah, for sure. It already has started to. Cool. It's being blessed by that house and and by Rustioni and by Peter and you know singing on stage with the you know quote unquote world's greatest singers and holding your own and and you know really showing them what you have to offer as an artist. I think it's very difficult to do when you're not in front of an audience. You know, when you have an audience and you know you have something special, but if you perform and there's never an audience there, people don't really understand what you understand in yourself because you've been doing it your whole life. Right. So when you have that ability to go out and do it in front of an audience and elicit that kind of response that's sort of undeniable and then there's like you know there's a real buzz right now which is wonderful i've always said to my students politics suck when they're not working for you and they're amazing when they are working for you right 
I'm having a moment right now and my team and I are re really seizing that moment. Awesome. Riding making, that wave. Yeah, making the most of it. All right. You said something that I would really love to talk about if you are willing. Yeah. You and I have talked about this privately, and I think it's really interesting. It's an interesting section or part of your career where you have been open about burning bridges. Mm. I think like maybe earlier on in your career, which some singers have done. And then I think there's different burning bridges. There's bur burning bridges where you do a really crappy audition and you got to wait five years for them to like get rid of that paperwork that they hide in their office for five years or you're in some file somewhere. <laughs> that is true, people. I have heard this. Um, <laughs> and um, so <laughs> the other burning is burning bridges because of of you, of maybe your personality or or maybe whatever it is. There's several different kinds of burning bridges. And you've talked about that. How have you been able to, have you been able to fix that? What is your advice for people that have done that, that are working through their career? How did it affect your career? Mm, I think that- um, Do you want to talk about this? Yeah, I would love to talk about it. I think you have to forgive yourself and keep moving forward and keep working on your craft. However, you also have to accept the fact that maybe you will never work at a certain house or, but there are other houses, there are other people, there are administrations change. Mm -hmm. You have to like try and stay positive and really keep moving forward. Mm. I mean, I think as a young gay guy in the business that I was in and having just graduated from Yale University, a lot of people thought I was a lot more worldly than I actually was. I speak Italian, I've gone to Yale, but I was basically just this country bumpkin who was thrust into the limelight and, and probably in retrospect was in no way ready to deal with the, the people that I was going to run into or, or the, it was, it was, it was difficult, difficult time for me when I look back on it, because I probably made a lot of um, mistakes. I don't know. I, I talk to my brother about this all the time and he says, you know, I don't look at it that way because you were protecting yourself. You had your blinders on and you were just protecting yourself because this is what you've always done mm. as a young guy when other people were coming after you, whether it was like to, to be sort of mean or if it were like, when this is where I wasn't really prepared, like certain older guys in, in places of power who were attracted to me when I was, you know, young and pretty and thin. Oh, you still are. <laughs> you still are. So, I mean, I was ill-equipped. I was not ready. I had no idea. And I just reacted like a farm boy would react and sort of, I, I ended up uh, making a lot of enemies and a lot of i didn't mean to be that mean i was just protecting me sure and yeah. i i ended up the a lot of these people ended up in places of real power fitness. yeah so it's a small world our world our music our opera world it is a very small world and a very tight-knit group of people like you said quinn kelsey right he called you and said hey right like, yeah. we all know each other and yeah. it's hard. It's hard. You know, I had a um, a situation a 
many years ago where I showed up for a job. They had really wanted this other singer. Um, she couldn't do it. I was the second hire. And I think when they heard me, they just wanted the other sound. We're both really great singers, just totally different. And they came at me and came at me in a way that I was like, why did you hire me? You should have hired mm. what you wanted. And because I stood up for myself and spoke, I'm opinionated and I, I was very professional about it, but I was like, I'm not gonna change my sound to sound like the person you originally wanted. That intendant actually called the next place I was working and told this person that I was a troublemaker. And then I get to that job, I don't know it, I'm working. It was actually a job with you, Michael. And uh, I get to this job, I'm working, we're having a great time, we did a great show. And this person came and wanted to tell me what had happened. And so I just want you to know that this person is saying this about you and I've made a phone call correcting that statement because you were a joy. And, um, and I was like, well, thanks for telling me. I said, you know, we don't, as singers, we don't know this. Even sometimes our managers don't tell us what's being said about us. And I've always felt like I can't fix it unless you tell me. So, um, but I feel like that's part of, and that's a burn bridge. I never were, I got great reviews for that show, but they never hire me back. You know what I mean? So it's, um, you just never know what you're dealing with, but I, um, some of those bridges can be mended and some of them can't. So. I think that in my case, um, there were certainly some people completely wrote me off and that will never be mended no matter what I do. Right. But in cases, I've worked with these people again in the business and I'm now an adult and I, and there's more of an understanding there and sure. you know, it's water under the bridge so the bridge is now repaired so i'm you and know, you can still have an amazing career and you can still learn from your mistakes and you can still walk on the met as you know not having rehearsed anything and sing the crap out of the rigoletto <laughs> yeah I mean, you know I, it's an interesting business because you know we as singers it's when we do stand up for ourselves, sometimes it can be seen as, you know, being difficult or, or, but if we don't do it, no one else certainly will. So you have to be like really careful. You have mm -hmm. to know yourself really. This is the things that I've learned over the 30 years that I've been in the business is that, you know, there are certain things that matter and there are certain things that don't. Yeah. you know and you have to know what those are for yourself mm -hmm. you know and they don't teach us these things no. <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's not like this career comes with a handbook you know right exactly and i'm sure like at your level sandra that you've had to deal with this over and over and over again on the way up i mean i can't even imagine i mean it's it's great like i said you know it's really easy to be like gracious and humble and everything when everything's working for you and it's hard to do it when it's against you sometimes you know and so you know the struggle is real it's it's a real thing but um, if you keep working on your craft and keep singing well and you get the opportunity then that is the thing i mean there's nothing like it in the world it's we've all experienced it and there's yeah. really we've all like, been covers yeah. like, all three of us we've all been covers and it can be very soul-sucking and depressing yeah. 
Yes, I mean, you are you are the picture poster child for covers, <laughs> but that is very unusual. Right. You know, normally you're sitting there in the dark theater. Yeah, that's right. I And I felt like when I was, uh, I mean, I got so much love even on social media because I am sort of a poster kid, you know, and I felt like I was representing everyone who's ever been in my situation and, and finally getting that moment. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. And honestly, I feel like there's a, a craft to covering. And like a word of advice, if I, I'm lucky that I've sung Rigoletto 50 times. Right. I would never, I mean, never say never, but I would really consider very carefully taking a cover at a place like the Metropolitan Opera where you've never performed the role. Very true. Huge. That can be really, really risky. It's mm -hmm. a big risk to take. Totally. Because if, you're, if it's not already in your body, the moment is so big. Like by the third performance, I finally felt like myself. You know what I mean? Right. I felt I could breathe. I wasn't sweating from the very... <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you do sweat. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm a sweater to begin with. But I was like, I was like, I can't imagine, because it's all about the moment. It's about the moment, and it's not about, if you don't know the role inside and out already and know that you can sing it in a high-pressure situation. Right. So... It's kind of I, interesting. I also suggest to people, be very nice to your stagehands. Yes. Thank you. Sure. I mean, they're, they're amazing people, but, you know, if you treat, I think we all treat, all three of us are, I think, very good colleagues and, and professionals. But, you know, if, if you are very nice and ask very nicely if there's five or 10 minutes left in a rehearsal on stage, and there's a very difficult staircase or something and you say hey you know guys i know that you're going to break set can you wait just five more minutes because it's already in the rehearsal can i just walk up and down those stairs or can i try blah 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 and you know people use your voice because it can make a huge difference and i had an instance at the met i was covering the new the zeffirelli uh, carmen that's how old i am mm -hmm. and <laughs> Michaela. <laughs> And Hei Kyung Hong got sick. And I was fortunate enough to ask them, actually, Steve Diaz, the head stage manager, he said, Sandra, come here, go up and down those. Mm -hmm. Now, we got five minutes, go up and down. Do and it. thank God, because when you're, when you're in the moment, you're like, where are the stairs? Where are the stairs? So use it, ask questions, and just use your voice, communicate with people. Couple things in the Rigoletto. Uh, for instance, there's a staircase that, that goes up to in my house and Rigoletto's house. And in that first duet, which is probably the hardest thing to sing in the whole opera, there's a moment where I'm like climbing the steps, and I I had no idea it would be as hard as it was. I was like, oh my god, I'm like so out of breath. You're like, I knew I should have done more cardio. <laughs> Oh my God. In the last act, you know, normally Spartacuchile, the assassin, carries Jilda out and lays her down, and then she's there. Well, in this production, you have to drag Jilda out of the saloon, off of the turntable. Turntable starts to spin. You sing a little bit, and then you have to drag her to the other side of the stage. 
Anyone who's sunk on the Met stage knows how wide that sucker is. So not, I mean, Rosa's light. She's not heavy at all. She's mm-hmm. a beautiful singer. And, and, and I was like, I was like, okay, Kiori, come on. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like so out of breath. Fuck so, oh my God, I love like, that so much. So how is your voice? I mean, let's think about this. You have, in both of our opinions, you have worked your tail off for 25 years since you did the Met uh, competition. And honestly, you have bought a great apartment. You were very smart with your money. How has your voice changed since then? And how has the business changed since then, do you think? Oh, wow, good questions. I mean, let's start with my voice. I mean, when I was young, I was really light lyric. I had color in my sound and I always had an, a really great high voice. That was like my gift. So I, I would sing Barbara Seville all the time. I'd sing Papageno all the time. Um, I say in, the, in my early thirties, I moved into some of the heavier French repertoire like Valentin and Hamlet. And um, I did a one paleos in Japan with Seiji, um, which is like sort of really high. I was almost a tenor, but not quite. Mm-hmm. And then, like in my mid thirties, my voice really started to settle a little lower. Mm-hmm. And I do like some of the heavier Donizetti like uh, Enrico, mm-hmm. which show always told me is like, that's the bridge role. If you can handle Enrico, then you'll probably become a Verdi baritone. Okay. So as I developed and moved on into the repertoire, I just, um, the long line is something that I could also do very well. Um, and spinning the long line in the higher sort of pesatura mm-hmm. for the baritone, but having a certain amount of heft in the sound as well. Mm-hmm. So as I got to my mid thirties and the voice started to grow, that became easier and easier for me. Cool. So I was, oh, well, this is a telltale sign. This is the way I'm moving. This way my voice is moving. And thank God, because I mean, I mean, Maestro Verdi, my goodness, uh, for a baritone, you- Yes, you're in you're heaven. So, I to sing a lot of like title roles, mm-hmm. like that, you know, uh, Rigoletto. Louisa um, Miller. Well, you're a Miller, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just but, so and, many great roles. Did, did people, did you have advice? Were you with the same teacher all of those years or did you no, have- I, I switched teachers. Actually, I stayed as lyric as long as I possibly could. And people don't believe that I'm 52 now. They're like, wait, you're that old? And I was like, you don't sound that old. You don't look that old. I know I don't look that old. But... No, you don't. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like, you know, there's something about staying lyric for as long as I did in the in the- and then moving into the heavier, the sort of uh, lineage of, of the role is like the dream for any very baritone. You start with the light lyric stuff and move into the French and sort of the heavier Donizetti and then move into the Verdi. I still, there's still a couple of things that I think, you know, Thomas Klausman, who mm-hmm. is the new head of music uh, at uh, the Metropolitan Opera, had a conversation with uh, Caroline Woodfield, my manager, and said, you know, I actually could hear Michael doing some of the German rep as well. So I'm doing my, uh, Utah is mounting Dutchman for me. Cool. And I'm doing 
and and there so Tomas is going to come out to hear that so that's, that's amazing I love yeah. that oh so. okay we have to talk about this part two of your career which is so awesome I find and you and I even talked about it when we worked together last fall was about your networking skills are off the charts and the relationships that you have built with people over the years so that you can talk to Utah Opera and say, hey, listen, I really want to try my first XYZ. How have you done that? What's your advice to young singers in doing that? Well, I think um, you have to be yourself and don't feel intimidated by the moment. I think that like, you know, if you get hired again at a company, certainly that helps you become more comfortable in speaking to the general manager on a mm -hmm. personal level. So, you know, that's what careers are made of. Being hired once is not a career. Being hired again and again is a career, right? So there was a network of these companies like Washington National, Utah, Palm Beach, um, uh, Austin, where they were sort of became home companies for me, where I got hired over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that I learned from earlier on in my career when I did make so many mistakes just to really be myself and to feel comfortable enough to like just be human and, and ask for the things that you need. And people, I think, ultimately really respect that. Mm -hmm. Also, I think they knew that... I mean, without sounding like horribly egotistical, I think they knew that they were lucky to have someone of my caliber singing at some of these regional houses as well. And I felt lucky too, it wasn't just that. Yeah. It was a symbiotic relationship where, you know, I benefited from doing my first roles in these companies as well before I did them in bigger houses. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Well, the, the big part about than that as well is that I've heard from people that I haven't heard from in 20 years. So funny how I'm, that is. No, <laughs> right. And so now I'm recultivating relationships with people cool. who are bigger houses who, and I think that a lot of what I did when I was younger and being friends mm -hmm. with people who run companies mm -hmm. really coming in to benefit right now as well. Awesome. Cause I, I just, I just, uh, if they wrote me, I would write them back and be like, so maybe if you're younger, you felt like, oh, you would just write, thank you so much. Instead of like, oh my gosh, I really loved working for your company. I had such a great time there. I love the food scene. The, the people are amazing. You know, I would love to come back. So please keep me in mind. I mean, that's all you really have to do. Yeah. Right? Start and to keep the contacts, you know, keep, keep yep. a list of them. And, and, you know, and, and also if you haven't heard from them in six months or eight months, or you just reach out and say, Hey, you know, happy new year, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Because you yeah. weren't in a young artist program, right? I did Houston. Houston. Okay. Yeah, I did Houston. And then, um, I mean, I just think that like, that is a gift that's not really taught. That's like a thing that like, you have to become comfortable with yourself to be able to have the, the wherewithal or the the nerve to actually write someone who could hire you right. but i i think there's you know 
it has to be genuine. It has to come from a genuine place. So I agree. Um, yeah. And I but, think that's changed now too. Don't you mm -hmm. feel that that's a big thing when I ask, you know, how the, the business has changed? I honestly think that that the, all that formality that we used to deal with 25 years ago, oh, you have to go through your manager and you can't, you're not supposed to talk to the general manager of the opera right. house. I think that those, those barriers have been really cut down. I mean, absolutely. I mean, when I had my couple minutes with Peter backstage before I went on for the third show, I just tried to be as gracious and, and, you know, as much myself as I totally could be in that moment. Right. So, and if you just, if you can actually let people see who you are as an artist or as a network person and just be genuine, I think that really is, goes a long way with people. Yeah. Because, I mean, Christina Shepelman, Christopher Macbeth, Daniel Biaggi, yeah. Francesca, I mean, I've developed a lot of relationships with, with great people. I mean, certainly Austin Opera as well, Nate DePlant. So, and they've but, all changed opera houses, all those people you've yeah. spoken about. <laughs> so, but now you also were really good with money. Where did you get that financial just, sense? Did people teach it to you? Um, I grew up poor. So I knew that if I wanted something, I had to budget it. So when I was growing up, I wanted this stereo, right? There are two things I really wanted, the stereo and a bike. And my mom said, well, you know, you need to get a part-time job. I was like maybe 10 or 11. So I started like a paper route and I started, you know, doing paper route and I saved up and I saved up and I, you know, I, I bought the things that I buy so i mean i was really fortunate that my mother was very good with money and sort of you know guided me in that way as well mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i've been very fortunate to have made some wise decisions financially <laughs> it sort of took the edge off of my career too and mm -hmm. and being able to take some things that I really wanted to take, being able to study when I wanted to study or not work when I didn't want to work. Right. Is, you know, it's really helped a lot. But um, now I'm married to a very successful realtor, so. <laughs> Yay. A sweetheart. He's no. a sweetheart. There you go. Marry for love and money. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think that it's important, like from a very young age, like we're, we live in this world where there's all this money, right? And we, we rub elbows with these people who are giving money to the opera and they live these certain types of lives. Mm -hmm. And you get a lot of money like upfront sometimes, you know, when you're performing, but you don't realize, okay, 10% goes to my manager, you know, 25 or 30% is gonna go to Uncle Sam. And then, you know, I'm left with this. And then after housing, that, flight. housing, oh, I put coaching it or teaching and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, from an early age, I sort of realized that. And I always, always budgeted. I know that, like, maybe on social media, it looks like I, you know, live a certain way, but I definitely have budgeted and my whole career, my whole career. It's amazing. You know, I tried not to have debt. I tried, you know, 
I tried to really just, uh, if I couldn't afford it, I wouldn't really do it. So nice. Do you teach that to your students too? Do they reverse that? Do they ask you about it? Well, I think when, (laughs) when I talk about money with my students, it's normally, you know, I mean, I'm not teaching really for the money. I'm teaching because I feel like I can help the kids. So, and I really do enjoy it and it's helped my own singing. Mm-hmm. That said, I do think, you know, that I should be compensated for what I do. It's also, you know, a business. And, but when they talk to me about money, I try to encourage them to be open with me about money. And if they have an issue, you know, paying for lessons or whatever, I'll like always talk to me. And I, if I feel like it's not something I can do, I'll say no. But if I can work something out and I can give you six lessons for the cost of four and you oh. pay me a month and one lump sum and we work that out or whatever it might be, then I'll do that. So that's nice. Yeah. And then in through that, Sandra, I think then they start learning about how, how to like open a discussion about money because people, people don't even know how to talk about money. Mm-mm, nope. I mean, they have no idea how to budget, how to save. There's so many of us, unfortunately, I mean, very successful singers who are in trouble financially. Yeah, so, because you get this check, say for $1,000, you know? Right. You go, woo, I have $1,000. But, you know, like you said, take this, take this, day. I always think 50% gone. Yeah, well, I mean, I still have, like, from my first Met check, I bought a beautiful coat from Burger Food. I still own that coat. Okay, when I bought it, it was $1,500 30 years ago. Wow. But I have that coat, you know what I mean? I yep. still wear it occasionally, but I mean, yeah. That's hysterical. You I gotta that. reward yourself too, and especially for big, big milestones in your career. I think it's good to have that tangible reminder yeah. of why it was so important to you. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah but I, I think that, you know, you have to pay yourself first and then figure out what the extra is and if you can afford certain things or not. I mean, certainly I've lived in New York City now 25 years, I guess. I mean, it's uh, not a cheap city to live in, so. Ooh, no, don't think about how much money you have if you live down in one of the states like Tennessee or Florida where they don't have that tax that you have. <gasps> don't think about that, Michael. <laughs> I'm going to get a second residency in Tennessee. Right there next you go. Come on, come on. You know you want to live here by the lake in the woods. I want to live by Humphrey. My humps. Yep. I know. <laughs> I know. And I have a goober all over you. You sure about that? Yes. Well, you want the you want the goober free version of Humphrey, I bet. <laughs> no, I yes. You do not come into my house dressed up. You come wearing just whatever you don't care get goobered. That gets goobered. Hello. Can, can we, I know you have to rush off, but do you have a few more minutes if yeah. Carrie has no more questions to do some rapid fire? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Rapid fire. Okay, ready. Should we, should we go old school, Carrie? Yeah, let's go old school. Let's do it. Okay. What is your favorite word? Um, resonance. I don't know. My favorite word, my favorite word is... Uh, Money. No. My favorite word is love. Right. Love makes the world go round, people. Bingo. All right. What is your least favorite word? Moist. I 
hate that word. Yeah, you know what? Like, ew. I don't know. I think of I'm things like, when, when you I'm say that word. That word. If you're talking about a cake, fine, but. Okay. Now, even then. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> okay, what turns you on? What turns me on? Um, my husband. Um, I think what turns me on the most is like uh, genuine people, like people who are genuine. Down to earth. You know, part of me was thinking you were going to say like making tomato sauce because I love your Facebook of you making sauce because I just want to be over there eating it. That's all I have to say. You okay. will all come over. I will. Um, I, I mean, seriously, Michael, I'll bring my suitcase that's covered in goobers and I will be eating your sauce. <laughs> I'll make the roof teenies, okay? There you go. Okay, what turns you off? Uh, what turns me off? Uh, negativity. Mm, right? Mm -hmm. What sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of my mother's voice. Oh. I love, like, she has this really like mellifluous kind of like, she has kind of a sing-songy way that she talks. Mm -hmm. And I love the sound of my mother's voice. That's so cool. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Um, I mean, most recently, you like during the pandemic, we live right near a hospital and mm -hmm. we would hear so many sirens. Oh. So I have learned to really hate the sound of a New York City siren. So yeah. it's not too soon. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask it this time, Karen. Do it. Do it, girl. What's your favorite curse word in any language? Uh, favorite curse word in any language. I mean, fuck is a really good one, but I think uh, goddamn is probably my favorite. Or cocksucker. 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 <laughs> yes. Although my British friends always say cunt. So that's... <laughs> That's always like, you know, a, a part of endearment to them. They're like, you know, you fucking cunt. So this, you know, this is my Okay, this is my thing with the word cunt and pussy. I don't understand why these words became negative when it is such an amazing, fabulous thing, people. <laughs> I mean, why? I mean, I think we should say that in like praise and celebration, not in nastiness. <laughs> praise vagina. Thank you. <laughs> oh no, and we have fallen so far. Oh dear. Oh shit. Instead of praise. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my God. I just totally cracked myself. Up. What profession other than being an opera singer would you like to attempt? Uh, I think if I wasn't an opera singer, I'd probably be a veterinarian. I just love animals. I've always loved dogs. I, I just, I mean, certainly when we were going to brain, brain bridge. <laughs> we oh dear. What was in your drink? Bain, we were going to Bainbridge. Bainbridge. And then that dog, that little husky. Oh my god. They gosh. love you. It's like they just they're like, oh yes, you're my best friend immediately. Oh, well, what everybody's is that? like that with Michael though. I know, right? We love Michael. Okay. I so what you. job what job would you not like to do? Um I mean I don't think I'd be very good at like any type of 
physical labor. <laughs> you like dragging a soprano across the stage? Yes, exactly. <laughs> My singing high up. Yes. Okay. Okay. Bye -bye. Oh dear. Oh dear. Um. Okay. okay. And I think this is the last question, right? It is. Okay. Um. Oh, I get to ask this. It's my turn. I know. All right. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say as you walk through the pearly gates? I want God to be like, yes, bitch, welcome. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> I love that so much. I can totally see that happening. I don't know why. I just saw the vision. I'm like, that's happening, Michael Kioldi. Uh -huh. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Kioldi. Well, thank you, thank you so much for talking with us, chit-chatting with us. It's always, always a pleasure. We both love you so much. Absolutely. I love, I love you both. Can't wait to have cocktails together, man. I mean, come on. I know. I know. Can we please get together soon? It's time. I hope so. I know. Well, okay. There's this little thing called COVID that's got to go away. I know. Yeah, I know, but we're going to test and have a good time. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, I, hey, listen. I am probably the safest person to be around right now. Because you've had like 500 tests. <laughs> and I've had COVID not once but twice. There okay, you go. There you go. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> Love you. Bye, you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye.